Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> We're not going to start the controversy in the house here this morning. My team didn't even get there, so hey, I will say, praise God. Enjoy it, those who enjoy that. It's a big event. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. I know we've prayed a lot, but I want to ask the Lord to, right now, just open up the windows of heaven for revelation. Lord, we need to understand Paul prayed in Ephesians. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him Lord, we ask for impartation of your presence. We also take authority over anything that would try to hinder, distract, distort, manipulate, control, confuse. Lord, right now, that you're available to give us the mind of Christ. It says you have the mind of Christ. So, Lord, we ask you now, anything that would be of the darkness, confusion, chaos, and listening by live stream, God, I thank you for your presence here this morning. Hide us under the shadow of the wing of the Almighty and release your understanding and revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a huge subject about the love of God. And so I'm probably going to take a couple of weeks to unpack this. So don't, don't worry. We're not gonna, I'm not going to rush this one. We're going to just let the Lord lead us as he has us go. This is a, probably one of the most important principles that we see in the kingdom. And so, two weeks ago, we looked at why does God allow suffering? And how does evil fit in the plan? And we unpacked that about free will and who's in control and who's in charge. And we um, revealed through the scripture in, in Genesis 1 that you have been given dominion. You are created in his image and you have been given dominion. I've been wrestling with this thought, and I know God sovereignly places himself. There's times when it's over, when the hourglass is completely empty. Mom says, there's only so much sand in the hourglass. And there's a point where all of a sudden, God's sovereign plan, regardless of where we are, it's over, right? So he does intervene in those times. He did that when he came the first time. Jesus came the first time. But until that time, you and I are in control of what we do by choice, free to will. And he doesn't do anything, listen to this. First of all, the devil cannot do anything, I believe, cannot do anything in this earth without agreement from a human being. But when men and women agree with sin and evil, guess what? He's able to operate. He could not operate in the garden until he got agreement from the man and the woman in rebellion. And so that's a really important principle for us to understand. And in, in order for us, the, the, the purpose of talking about why does God allow suffering, how does this fit? Because if you think God is responsible for your suffering, it's really hard to love him. And so then last week we looked at, we took that a step deeper, and we said how do we offer the sacrifice of praise in the midst of all our struggles? And we unpacked that, and we looked at lots of scripture associated with that. And so if you want to go back and revisit those, go online, and and you can pull those up. Well, tonight, today, I want to deal with this 
subject. <laughs> and if you look at your outline, we're gonna, I'm going to give you some scriptures in advance of that, so you probably want to take out a pen. Uh, there's something about the visual ability to look at, a, first of all, your ability to retain. If you hear it, you see it, and you write it, you retain more. So I'd encourage you to take notes. That's, uh, I, I remember David Archibald, one of my favorite guys who's been in heaven now, one day he came out, he pulled out sermons that I had written, <laughs> a lot of them. He says, man, I take them back, I reread them, I look at them, I, wow. So I would just encourage you, don't, you, know, you don't have to get too um, wound up about it, but I would encourage you to take notes. So I, I'm gonna kind of set this up as we go forward, because this subject, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. There's this uh, amazing confirmation of what took place this week. Um, I want to start with my wife and I. We, we've been watching the, the Leif Hetland series, right? We've been doing this for, this is six weeks. And I'm telling you, um, it has been inspiring, challenging, and in many have said life-changing. I've been a Christian for 45 years. And I'm telling you, this thing is opening up. That's that, that diamond part of the love and the word of God. It's just like every time you look at it, you get a different glimpse of the beauty of it all. And Leif's been teaching us on the blueprint for kingdom identity. And if you look at kind of the first part is, who are you? Who's the true you? Who are you? Who's the true you? We looked at that. He then said, we need to overcome the orphan spirit. There's a reason the psalmist said that God will be a father to the fatherless. Every one of us has fatherless areas in our hearts because we don't have any perfect earthly fathers. And so that's why he said, I will be a father to the fatherless. And that affirmation of who you are, then he went into the image of, and likeness of God, who are you, the revelation of that. Then it was immersed in God's love. And then this is a really important question that we've been asked to do our homework on in this session is, who is God to you? Who is God to you? I wrestled with that one. And to me, God is good. And he can be trusted. And if you truly believe that God is good and can be trusted, first of all, it sets in motion kind of a platform for your own life. Example, remember in uh, Hebrews eleven eleven, Sarah, who's married to Abraham, she gets told that you're going to have a son. Well, she's like a hundred, you know, and she laughs. But it says, by faith, Sarah believed God. So God was faithful to Sarah, even in the natural when things don't make any sense, she believed God, and he delivered to that. So who is God to you really matters, because if you see God as mean, harsh, dictatorial, that's really hard to embrace his love for you, and it's also hard to find peace when all the stuff that's unraveling, and it's gonna, the reason we're on this series is it's gonna get really, really, if, if you think this has been bad, it's gonna, Jesus prophesied to us, it's gonna get really rough. And so understanding all of what God is is really important so we don't lose faith, because Jesus warned, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? And so, this whole revelation of learning and experiencing God's love, in order to receive God's love, you gotta believe he's good. 
and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But once you receive his love, then you can become more loving. You can become love. And once you become love, you can release love. And so, and that's really what he told us we were supposed to do, the greatest commandments, right? He told us, love God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, you also know, you probably heard this statement, wounded people wound people. Loving people love people, (laughs) right? And it's not a surprise, in Galatians 6, 7, remember he said this, Paul writes this, and Galatians says, God will not be mocked. What you sow, you will also reap. People go, and that was part of what we covered in this blaming God for all the stuff. We make bad choices, and they get mad at God that it happened to us. I mean, that's just like, huh? You know? So, in the purpose that God has for us in understanding, revealing his love for us, we have to really get the cart in the right place behind the horse in order for it to run. So, that's why we, we wrestled through those other two subjects the last few weeks. Well, I want to read with you um, in 1 Corinthians 13. Pastor Terry handed this out, and this is the gold standard of love. <laughs> and I remember um, when my wife and I, we, we've been married a few years now. <laughs> Going to be 49 years married, praise God. Married, I met her when she was three, no, 16. <laughs> <laughs> 16, she was my high school sweetheart, praise God, still is. And so, maybe not the high school part, but the sweetheart part. <laughs> anyway, so, I remember we were going through a rough, a rough spot in our marriage. If you remember, I, my wife hates it when I say this, but marriage is designed to kill you both. It'll kill your flesh. Hello? Anybody who's married can say, hey, hey, man. Right? And so... So we were going through a rough spot, and our pastor took us aside. Man, it was a, I won't elaborate on that, but he had, he had us read Ephesians chapter 5, and he read it to He said, I want you to read this. It's the one where Jesus died for his church, his bride, and hung on a cross. And he, there's a lot of elbowing going on here. What's that all about? <laughs> wow. Are you listening, husband? <laughs> I love it. Praise the living God. Anyway, so... So this, he said, I want you to read Ephesians 5, because I don't see you hanging anywhere, and I don't see any blood on you, buddy. Like, wow. And then he had the reading of 1 Corinthians 13, which is the gold standard of agape love. And if anybody meets this, come up and pray for me afterwards. Um, if not, you can just believe God for greater. I want to read it out of the Passion Translation. It was handed out. Pastor Terry handed it out. It's also part of the Immersed in Love part that uh, Leif Hetland was doing Wednesday. So listen, this is the passion of 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle, consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Yipes. Love joyfully celebrates honesty, finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter 
for it never stops believing and is best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, and it never gives up. So when you read it either in the King James, the New Living Translation, you'll also see that, wow, that is like, okay, so that's the, that's the goal. If we're going to love like God, then that's what God is, and that is the standard he puts between all the, the gift chapter, right? First Corinthians 12 is these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then he's got the love chapter. Then he has tongues and prophecy chapter, chapter 14. So it's like right smack dab in all of the gift and prophecy. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. And in fact, if you get to the end of this, he says, I don't care if you gave your body up. What if you get martyred, but you don't have any love? He says it's nothing. Man, that is, Wow. So, Lord, we thank you. Now, this week, I want to reveal to you why I know we're on this track. And the reason you're sitting here, and I'm getting it, is three things happened that really, like, shook me. We, uh, we decided, my wife and I said, we, we uh, devotional time in the morning. So I said, we're, you know, this thing with Leif, let's read 1 John uh, 1 through 5. The cha- in fact, I'd love you to take this as homework, because we'll probably pick this up next week. So in 1 John, if you read the five chapters of 1 John, John is almost 90 years old. He's the only surviving apostle at this time. He's seen the generation of the church transformed. He writes 1 and 2 and 3 John, which are really very uh, insightful. Then he writes the book of Revelation as well. And so he's seen some things. He's like, I've seen some things. And he writes it about the love of God and what it really means. And so I'd really encourage you. So we're reading that. We, we read it one morning, read it another morning. And then it was Tuesday morning of this week. My wife wakes up around, I think she said 4.35, which is not a normal event for her. And uh, <laughs> it's not. It's just, yeah, it's okay. And so she goes out. She, I'm supposed to read First John. She goes out on the couch. And I get up 5.36, and I come out on the couch and... And I usually do my sermons on the kitchen table. So I laid here. I was very quiet. Got my coffee and everything. Got the dog. Laid all my stuff. And I was writing all these scriptures. I said, Lord, what do you want to share with your people? I didn't know we were going to do this sermon. And so, but I'm, so I'm writing all these scriptures. I'm researching love and God's love and the Father's love. And I got like four pages of this. And she's, it's wonderful when, you know, somebody you love is just quietly sleeping there. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, in the quiet, Tom! I think she's awake that, you know, I did something. And I, yes! She goes, your father's calling you. And I'm like sitting at the table like, okay. What was that moment? And I got in front of me the love of the father, the love of God. First, I'm like, oh. You know, it's one of those moments, those break-in moments that happens, right? So I write, the, I write, handwrite, I love Pat. She takes all my writing in tongues and she's able to translate it. And so anyway, so I got it all rough. I'm, I'm old school. So I write this all down. I give her the, so I go in and, and um, just as I'm about ready, I read my wife the title and I tell her what happened about, do you remember waking up? And she goes, yeah, I was in a dream. And you know who? I said, which father was calling? And she says, it was gross father. It was her grandfather. What a, an amazing man he was. I mean, a loving man. Just, a, you know, one of these um, 
stalwart man of God, just loved his family and came from Germany, you know, and just came over here just before World War I, and, and he represented to us, the, to me, the Ancient of Days. He's the, it, the father was speaking through the legacy. And so I said, wow, okay, man, that's, that's something. And so I read her the title, and she goes, no, you gotta have, anyway, it turned out she quoted or gave me, you need to do 1 John 4, 16, which is the title of the message, right, which is, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God li- lives in them. So then I take my scratch notes to the, give them to Pat. Pat this is the sermon. We type it up. Got my mail sitting there, and I open it up, and there is a letter, and it's L-O-V-E, 1 John chapter 4. That was mailed to me several weeks ago from a friend in another state, just encouraging me. And so I said, well, that's an interesting coincidence. Praise God. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Then um, we get the, the message typed up, and Nilsa comes to me and says, do you realize several weeks ago I ordered the bulletins, and we order them, and then we, we print them out inside? She goes, several weeks ago I ordered the title of your message that I didn't, you didn't know you were preaching. <laughs> I didn't know you were preaching, but it's the title of the message this morning. So... God is love, and so and whoever lives in love is God. And so I said, okay, so we're on the right track here, <laughs> that God has a, a plan for, and the reason you're here this morning, because he lays out all of our steps. Let's start in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this uh, while he's in Ephesus, and it's a very revealing. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to start unpacking being rooted and grounded in love. Remember that song? Is that John? Is that rooted and grounded in love? Hey, rooted and grounded in love. Hey, remember? Some of you are looking at me like, wait. Okay, well, that's a song we do, but. It, and There you go. So, rooted, this is the chapter three in Ephesians where Paul talks about being rooted there and grounded in his love. So, let me begin. I'm going to read primarily out of the New Living Translation, the Thought for Thought Translation, but I may use some of the King James. I have a parallel Bible that I I love. So let's, Paul unpacks this and says there's a mysterious plan that has now been revealed. It's been held actually for hundreds and hundreds of years, and that plan has now been revealed by God himself to Paul. And so he picks up and he writes in verse 1, Ephesians 3.1, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God, gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Can I get an amen there? We we Gentiles need that grace. As I wrote briefly earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. So God himself, this is not, I got some ideas about this. No, no, we know that Paul had a very close encounter. First of all, he was knocked to the ground. He was blinded for three days. He didn't eat, and then the revelation came. He had his hands laid on, and the scales fall off. He's baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then he's revealed to him that you're gonna suffer for me, but I've got some things that I need you to do. Well, we also know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
that after many years, remember he says he went into the desert for 14 years, he, he, there was this place of trap. There's these gaps in Paul's life where there's revelation coming. Maybe it had to get the religion out of him, right? Because he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the murderer of Stephen, and he was locking up Christians of the way. And so he goes in 2 Corinthians 12, says, I went into the third heaven, and I saw things that I can't tell you what I saw. I wouldn't be allowed to tell you, but I also saw things that I cannot explain to you. So there were these revelations that Paul got, and this is one of them. There's other places where he says, I, Paul, to say this, but no, the Lord told me directly. Remember, he says that about uh, communion in 1 Corinthians 11. Here it is again. He says, this mysterious plan was revealed to me by God. As you read what I have written you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. Verse five, God did not reveal it, to pre- reveal it to previous generations, but now has revealed it by his spirit. He has revealed it to who? The holy apostles and the prophets. And this is God's plan, verse six. Both Gentile and Jews who believe the good news share equally in its riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. This is the one new man he speaks about in Ephesians 1 and 2, for prior chapters. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promises of the blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about it. The endless treasures. You might want to underline that. King James says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Endless treasures that are available in Christ. What does that look like? I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God the creator of all things, kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. He wants to use the church. Why? To display his wisdom, his rich variety, and all the unseen, to all the unseen rulers and authority in heavenly places. And this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please, don't lose heart because of the tri- my trials here that I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Then he goes on in verse 14, and he wants to pray for spiritual growth. Let me ask this. How are you doing in your spiritual growth? Are you making progress? You know, it's... That's good. It's kind of a good thing to assess. Where are you? He says, I want to encourage you now in this spiritual growth. Look at verse 14. When I think of all this, so Paul's like unsearchable riches, God's plan. I wonder how God revealed it. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his Glorious, listen to the the verbiage here. I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you 
with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. King James goes on and says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The question I want to pick this up in a minute. Who's dwelling in your heart? Who lives in your heart? Are there anything living in your heart other than God in your heart? Who dwells there will matter. Goes on and he says, verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may, this is conditional, have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. May you experience the love of Christ. May you experience the love of, this is not, oh yeah, God loved the world, yeah, yeah, I got it, yeah. No, 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 no. This is, when you experience When you see a blind eye open, when you see a tumor disappear, when you see a demonized person set free, praising God, when you see the crippled walk, you cannot unsee it. Don't you tell me he doesn't heal. I love that song. Don't you tell me. It's like, I've seen the blind eye. It's like, it's true. When you experience God's love, it's like, oh, no, no. You can argue your religion. You can argue your theology. You can argue your intellectualism about God, but I've experienced his love of God. When that happens, that's what, that's what he's talking about. He says, when that you may, not it's not there, but you may, you gotta seek out. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. He says in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door knocking. If any man will open the door, I'll come in and I'll have your supper with you. So many people keep the doors locked. We don't know how to open it. Or we we want to, but we're so caught up in past and troubles and trials and wrong things. Believe us about him. and We don't know how to open the door. goes on and he says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people, this is wide and deep and long and high. May you experience the love of Christ, but it's too great to understand it fully. You think you got it, you, got, you ain't got it, right? That mighty power. Then, 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 if you'll experience the love of Christ, here's the then conditionality you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power man that comes from God King James says it this way and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge verse 19 that you might be filled with all the fullness of God he goes on says in verse 17 that Christ may dwell live there rooted and grounded, be able to comprehend with all the saints. Because you're a saint, you're not a sinner. Amen? So all the saints need to comprehend this thing, although when you think you got it, you ain't got it. It's not enough. 
It's, this is like, there's so much more. It's unfathomable. It's unreachable. You got to get your roots growing. And the more you get your roots down, it's going to go deeper, going to go deeper. You're going to get stronger and stronger. You'll be able to stand against all the hurricanes that go on in your life because you're standing and rooted and grounded. I know who he is. I know what I've experienced in him. Don't you tell me he's not a loving father. So this is that play. Paul's like this revelation. Then he finishes with the, all the fullness, the completion. All glory to God who's able. He's able through his mighty power at work within us, verse 20, to accomplish infinitely more than you would ask or think. The most impossible prayers you ever dream or the most incredible glory picture you might have of God. It's not enough. Glory to him in the church. Verse 21, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Man, when you meditate on that, it's like, what is that, God? Rooted and grounded in his love. Knowledge that passes. The inner strength of the man. Verse 18 of verse chapter 1. May just flip back a couple of pages. In chapter 1, he speaks of the spirit of Paul prays, I pray that you get the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you would get the spirit. Get it? Remember the seven spirits of God? That the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The language and the poetic picture of this. Verse 18, he says, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. New Living says it this way in verse 19, chapter 1. I also pray. So he prayed for the spirit of wisdom. Now he says, I, Paul, also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and is seated with him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's why when Paul writes in Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He lives in you. The same spirit. Man, this is like, wow, God, my brain can't get it. The same spirit, that moment that it said, the father, come forth, son. When that happened, boom, that spirit broke. And it's just like called him out of the grave, right? What, what, What did heaven declare that moment? What did the the demonic realm declare? Like, uh uh-oh, we have messed this up. The same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in a home in you and wants to quicken your mortal body. And this is so beyond the, 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 the promises of trying to under, it's like, yeah, this is big. He's really big. He's big. He's just big. Then he goes on, he says, that you might be filled with the, the fullness In fact, the New Living Translation in verse 19 of that chapter 3 says that you be made complete. Do you want to be complete? Got any missing parts? (laughs) If it's like, we want to be complete. All of us got missing parts. I'm sorry. You know, 
Even Paul says, I haven't arrived. You know, he, I, I press on. 1 John 4, 17. Let's, let's turn to 1 John for a moment. I'd, I'd really love you to meditate. Just meditate on this. It's only five chapters, but I would really, really encourage you to meditate on what's here. Once we get a hold of this love, whew, you remember that song, Love Potion 99? You old, uh, you, you more experienced people? Love Potion number nine? Mixed it up in a bottle, it tastes like something... Anyway, started kissing everything in sight, kissed a cop down on 49. Uh, oh, man. It's probably not a good song, but I, uh, it's one of these things. When he got it, he wanted to kiss everything. He was like, I'm not recommending that, but I just, uh, I don't know where that came from, Lord. Whew, glory to God. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Okay, that'll stick in my brain, love potion 99. His love potion is much better, I know that for sure. Okay, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And he says in, in 1 John four seventeen, look at verse four, uh, verse, chapter four, verse 17 of 1 John. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of judgment. King James says it this way, here is our love made perfect herein, that we may have the boldness on the day of judgment because we're not in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love expels it, casts it out. So this is a serious question I was asking myself, and I didn't like all the answers. Remember, if you lack wisdom, ask the Holy Spirit, James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Just don't be double-minded about it. Realize you got biases, you got lenses that are not complete. <laughs> and so I'm subject to things I've experienced. So, but when you go before God in, in humility with no agenda, no hook, I love what Leif said, we love without a hook. We love with no agenda. So when you ask the Lord, what's my love deficits? Where do I have deficits in my love? I trust you, you, we all have it. You may have a love deficit towards a homeless person, to someone of another race, someone of another religion, someone who's hurt your family and broken your heart, taken things they should not have taken. If he tells us in Matthew chapter six, Jesus read letter, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven, but if you refuse to forgive, the Father will not forgive you. There's no conditions on that. And he modeled it when he hung on a cross. He's within an inch of death, beaten beyond recognition, it says. And he asked the Father to forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if you don't think he understands this, you're sour, sorely mistaken. So there's, there's a deficit. We all have these deficits. I remember there was a prophet, uh, Bill, uh, Bob Jones, who went through a near-death experience. We, we shut, Pastor Terry did a really wonderful job unpacking this book written by a pastor who interviewed and studied a 1,000 near-death experiences, Christians, non-Christians, Muslims, atheists. The commonality of it is there is another world. <laughs> Some have seen the dark world and have come back and realized, I need to get saved. Some have seen 
the bright light and met Jesus. In that place of revelation, there's this place Bob Jones had a near-death experience, and when he was there, he wanted to stay, and the Lord said, no, you gotta go back, Bob, and you're gonna have to learn to love. I'm sending you back to learn to love. So how are you doing in your learning to love is the question Holy Spirit's been asking me, and I don't like some of the answers I get. And so, all of us have love deficits, which means that if God dwells in your heart, and I live in love, and I live in him, then there's something else dwelling in my heart that is not him. It may be my broken heart. Remember, a few weeks ago, we looked at the four, the four avenues or the four doorways of thoughts that come in. We, that's in 1 John 4 as well, in the beginning part of the chapter. The four realms or thoughts. And 50,000 to 75,000 75, thoughts come into your brain daily. And 75% of them are negative. So what do you do with negative thoughts? If you think they're all yours, you gotta chuck them. Run them through the Holy Spirit filter, Right? So pay attention. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. The weapons of our warfare, not carnal, mighty, to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive, everything subject to Christ. If it doesn't fit in this book, then it goes to the trash can. Well, I'm not this. I'm gonna, everybody's going to hate me. I'm going to be rejected. I'm not lovable. That is not God. God so loved. So... We, we have this place where there's, there's love deficits that he wants us to be made perfect. And if there's any fear in your life, any fear in your life. Now this godly feel, riptides, don't let the kids go swimming in the riptides. Don't let your two-year-old run out in traffic. Okay, I got it, that's godly wisdom. Hurricane's coming. We better prepare. Ah, category five. I'll stay on the outer banks. Not wisdom. That sounds like pride, actually. And so, and it goes before the fall. So, okay, so there's godly wisdom, but then there is not godly wisdom. So whatever you fear is an avenue by which your love has not yet been perfected. I'll fear I'll die young. I'll fear I don't have enough money. I fe- All of those are deficit Love the categories. So search them. Ask the Lord. Why do, why do I have issues with this particular people? Now, you don't have to have dinner with everybody. And there is wisdom about you don't let everybody in your house. Amen? First, you want to read some more. Read First John chapter, uh, second John, first John chapter, no, second John and 3 John. We read this this morning, my wife and I, right? John, the 90-year-old elder at that time, is kicking somebody out of the church and talking about this one who's pridefully arrogant. Don't you ever let him in the house. And Like, ooh, that guy had church issues. I didn't feel alone. So there's nothing new under the sun, right? God's glory being revealed, practical, visible, and valuing others. So, um, we're about ready to start the sermon. <laughs> and it's about me, so we're gonna, what, here, it's a good one, I know. 
And I'm not, I am not compelled to, you know, rush through it to finish. So we're going we're gonna to land this thing here. But I would love you to take this week and really, really meditate. Read through the first five, cha- the, the only five chapters of John, First John. And just, you know, take it, take it snapshot at a time. Just read through it. What does it mean? Um, what, what are you saying here? Pray beforehand. There's something about this that here's the, um, the warning danger. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this. You're going to see all these signs, and they're rampant everywhere now. He says, when sin abounds and the love of many grows cold. Your translations in the King James say, love will wax cold. What happens when wax gets cold when it's hot? It hardens, it becomes brittle, right? And so Jesus is saying, you're going to see all this stuff, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence. When all that starts to happen, we see Israel come back in the land. He tells us that, right? Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Three times Jesus clearly states what it's going to look like. He says, I don't want you to be caught unawares. I want you to wake up. I want you to be awake. Do not be caught unawares. When you see these things begin, so the rampant sin, the lawlessness that's happening in our cities, the murder rates, all of the garbage that people are so afraid what's happening right now. When you start to see the rampant sin, the love of many will grow cold. Because why? People are locking themselves down. I saw interviews of people in the cities that are like, they're afraid to go out. There's all this crazy shootings and rapes going on in the subway systems. It's like, it's, it, you, it, it's what happens. You start to become untrusting. Who is that person? What, what's their agenda? What's their, and all of a sudden you start putting up walls of defense. The love of many will grow cold. And he tells us, don't you let your love grow cold. Right? What happens if you let your love grow cold? He told the, the church there in Revelation, you used to love me, but you don't love me like you do at first. And so there's a real warning about be careful. We have to be a different kind of people in this season. Now, we still need to be prepared. We need to face on evil. This doesn't let you lay down on evil. Oh, no. You face evil, and you stop it. That's what we did. Our, some of the greatest... Things that happen, when, if we didn't stop Nazi Germany, if we didn't stop the Japanese, what would happen? What was the, you look at the vileness associated with those regimes. We gotta stop what's going on in the evil of this world, but at the same time, we need to love. That's why I love the, the example. When I was traveling to Japan, we had sold some nuclear reactors to, um, to Japan, and I was on my way from Japan, Tokyo, back, I was actually flying to Taiwan, and, uh, on the plane, there was a Japanese man sitting in business class with me, and I opened up to the book of Matthew, and I was reading through the book of Matthew, and it turns out he was an English teacher headed to Bahrain to teach English. And he says, you're a Christian. I said, I am. He goes, you intrigue me. You Christians intrigue me. I said, interesting. Why do, why do I, I'm just reading the book of Matthew, trying to relax here, jet lagged. and We had a long conversation. He said, Now, if you ever look at the Japanese atrocities and what they did in China and in the Philippines, it's absolutely barbaric. And the Germans as well, under Nazi Germany, barbaric, demonic. Had to be stopped. And the only way you're going to stop it is to stop it, right? And so he, he says, 
I was a kamikaze pilot at age 16, and I was going to fly my mission when you dropped the bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And my mission was canceled, and I didn't die for the emperor. And I know what we would have done if we beat you. But you know what you guys did? My house had been bombed by the Allies. I had no house left. It had burned to the ground. And then you came in, and your soldiers, every day you fed us, and then you rebuilt us. You Christians intrigue me. <laughs> love your enemies. So there's something about the deficits of love that God wants us to, he really wants to take this body into a different place. And I'm just challenging me as well as you. Look at your love deficits. Look at how you feel when you drive down the street, see someone, how you judge them, or what, what's the thought that just came in there? And God wants to do something different because he wants, what happens if we love God and our neighbors as ourselves? You gotta love yourself. So let's stand and, Lord, I thank you that this morning, um, I love the worship that brought us into a, a place of sitting at your feet. And I know that you love everyone listening by the sound of my voice or those who will when come on live stream and, Lord, I feel like Paul, I'm the least deserving to share this, but I, I know that you wanna do something really, really deep here. And if we'll just go with you into the depths of your love, it'll transform not only our families, but it'll transform our peace. We'll have an understanding that passes our ability to understand. Think about the thing, what did he tell you in Philippians 4? Think about the things that are right, pure, holy, just, honorable. Keep putting into practice. And if you do this, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind and you will not be able to understand why this prince of peace has come to live in my heart. God, I pray a blessing on your people today. New Living Translation and King James, however, whatever translation you got, Go and look at different translations and study this love, these love chapters. Paul knew something, and so did John about this. So I want to invite the ministry team, if you'll come forward. If you're here this morning and you've never been able to surrender your life to the love of God, I just encourage you to do that this morning. We would love to pray with you. If you have a challenge for someone that the Lord's been speaking to you about and you just want someone to agree with you on, it says if two or three would agree as touching, it would be done for them. So, Lord, we thank you. We lift up all that you're doing today. Lord, I pray for the peace of our nation. I pray for the Ukraine to be at peace. Lord, that Russia and the allies would not go to war with each other. Lord, I pray peace. I pray for all those gathering at Super Bowl and all the parties that no craziness would happen in the midst of this that is unholy and ungodly. And we thank you, Lord, for today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here.